And we are live. Welcome to another episode of the New York Information Security Meetup. I have the great pleasure to introduce Kurt John, who is the Chief Information Security Officer for Siemens USA. Uh, Kurt, thank you very much for joining. Much appreciated. Thank you very much, David. I love your setup. Uh, you know, you made a comment that we were like now feel like we're both in a in a proper podcast <laughs> attire. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, this is the fun part of the job. So listen, um, I, first of all, I'm very excited to have you and I know you're super busy and I appreciate you, um, you know, giving back to the community by, by doing this. Um, but before we dive in, like I looked at your, uh, profile, what you've done, uh, you were like the kind of the poster child for, for, to, you know, doing the right thing to, to promote yourself and become, uh, you know, chief information security officer is no joke, right? Maybe you kind of, um, uh, and, and by the way, Siemens USA as well, we'll talk about like, you know, what's the kind of the total assets of the company and all that stuff. That's exciting piece. But before we dive in, uh, what was your career path and kind of describe that? And if you can, I, what I found from, from talking to a lot of folks in the industry, there was a, a pivot point where something you've done, maybe a path you took, uh, kind of propel things forward and, and, uh, made you realize you're, you're making the right choices. Wow. Um, and by the question. way, this is completely unscripted, Kurt. So just for yeah. the audience, uh, you know, so whatever you respond, um, you know, you do, you do well. Yeah, no, this, this is the first time I'm hearing the question. So this should be pretty authentic. Um, so I, I, my undergrad was in computer science. Uh, and when I got started, it was in IT auditing. Before I started IT auditing, I had never heard of it. So I, I fell face first into that one. Um and I started working at this very small regional company here in the U.S. And then one day, I think it was in 2010, my boss came to me. He said, look, hey, cyber is going to be a thing. I was always interested, always tinkering and so on, as I mentioned, computer science. And he said, cyber is going to be a thing. Would you like to go be um, a certified ethical hacker? We'll, we'll, we'll send you to training. And I did. And that was a lot of fun because, well, I got the certification, but then I got to, for example, Pentest Dulles um, International Airport, Reagan um, National Airport, some counties and, and so on. A whole lot of different um, uh, types of uh, state, local government, nonprofits, for profit, you name it. Um, and so that was an interesting path, right? Because then I started from sort of audits and governance to the technical side, which is pen testing. Um, I moved on to a larger company in the 2016-ish area, and I, it was more so a little bit of consulting as well. So there was that. And then at some point, I became disillusioned with audit. And 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 that's because an audit is a, comp is a very valuable um, um, uh, uh, domain, very necessary um, and, and, and very much appreciated. Um, but in my mind at that time and where I was in my career, it, 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 I felt as though it was pretty straightforward to come after the fact with a checklist and say, hey, A, B, C, D, here are the things you did wrong. It was much more interesting or much more challenging is a better word to have limited time, limited resources, and to try to come up with a very creative solution to very complex problems. And so around that time, Siemens came knocking at my door. Um, I said no for the first time. Then, they, you know, about nine months later, they, they, they came again and I said, OK, I joined the leadership development program. Typically, when you join, you're supposed to spend five years after year two with ruthless travel. I mean, travel is like 95 percent all over the planet. Um, about two years in, then this role as a CISO came knocking on my door. Um, and what do you do when that happens is you get terrified and you think you should probably say no. Uh, that was my first internal reaction. Um, externally, I was very much composed and so on. But internally, I, I started to list off all the reasons why this just is not, it would not be a good move. You'll fail, you'll fail spectacularly, and then so on and so forth. In the end, due to um, a very solid network, my wife and, and a couple of friends and mentors, um, and equally due to, if I think of myself five, ten years from now, what level of regret would I have if I had not tried versus I tried and I failed? And when I thought about that, I just would not be able to live with myself. And so that that equally um, gave me the push I needed. I said yes. And so it's been a brilliant uh, time uh, with Siemens so far. 
you know, and I, I try very, very hard to stay quiet and not to interrupt you, but I have so many questions. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so one thing you mentioned, the, the tinkering part. Right. And uh, you decided, first, first of all, to take computer science is not easy. Right. You kind of glance mm -hmm. right over it. Um, you know, I, I've done this as well. And, uh, you know, there's some sort of filter, I think, second year with all those courses, the algorithms and so on. A lot of people fail. It, you know, in your mind, what was kind of like the maybe like in your childhood that made you like so curious and, and have that tinkering oh. mentality? You know, man, there were there were two things that st stand out in my mind. The first was I remember I had a friend of mine come over. And he had um, a floppy disk and a notebook. Um, and, and on the floppy disk, he had all these dial-up numbers. And so he was he was like, where's your phone line? Let's plug it in. And then there's the whole, you know, 1990s modem sound. And I was like hooked. I was like, how is this possible? Why is no one stopping us? I mean, this is completely free. I just need to rotate numbers from time to time. <laughs> um, that was the first. The second was once I was on the Internet and I may or may not have been using Kazaa or LimeWire. I will neither confirm nor deny. Um I had a bunch of MP3s at the time on my computer all over the place. And um, I got tired of trying to search for them. So I was thinking to myself, there's got to be a way to like find all the MP3 files and just dump them in one folder. And so I started messing with Visual Basic and wrote like this little GUI program um, over the course of like three, four days. And I thought it was pretty easy. Programming is not easy. That was easy. Just star.mp3, move from here to there. Super simple. Um, um, uh, and so I wrote that program. And, and I think those are the two things that stood out in my mind that had me hooked on, on computer science. Yeah, and it's interesting because I always get the question, like, you know, how do we get into this space, uh, especially for people starting out? And I see this common thread of curiosity, right? And be able to, you know, pull on that sweater, like you pull that thread and try to mm -hmm, figure things mm -hmm. out. Um, and then you, you mentioned specifically that uh, you had mentors along the way, people that helped you. And then also you mentioned uh, very briefly that you were um, getting outside of your comfort zone. Uh, and as well as potentially figure out that there's something you don't like, right? Or yes. you don't like as much. And this is a, a you know, f from my experience, is something that, again, people should like, should, first of all, they do something, right? To start somewhere. And then one thing leads to another, to another, to another. Like, it, just like you did, you started as an auditor and then you moved mm -hmm. because there was an opportunity to get somewhere else. Um, so tell me a bit about, um, you know, do you remember the when you said yes? And it's funny also that you mentioned that you were playing hard to get with Siemens. Yeah. Right? You're like, you know, it's like it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe not the first time they asking you out, maybe the second time, right? Uh, which yeah, is also yeah. pretty interesting. Um, so, in in your mind, um, you know, getting to um, you know this this specifically to to. Uh, you know, become saying yes and becoming, uh, you know, that big role. Do you remember what was it like? Because you were completely out of your comfort zone, right? Oh, I was. I was. Um, I remember thinking to myself, uh, first of all, when <laughs> this is what happened. So my predecessor at the time, um, she was moving on to another role. And and she she called me out of the blue. I was on my way to T-Mobile. I remember the iPhone 10 had just came out and I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be so much fun. One of the few weekends I was actually home long enough because I had already joined Siemens, but was part of the leadership development program. And then the phone rings. It's it's Joanna. And she's, by the way, is now a CISO over at HP. So, I mean, the, the I cannot overemphasize the importance of sponsorship and mentorship. It's one thing, one thing to mentor, offer advice, guidance, and so on, but sponsorship, um, either being a sponsor or seeking out, either you being a sponsor or you seeking out a sponsor to help you in your journey. Because in that case, Joanna definitely was, was my sponsor. So Talk to me she, about Kurt before, like I, I just have to interrupt you because this is yeah, kind of yeah, the please. first time people yeah. always talk about mentorship, but they don't talk about sponsorship. What's the difference? Yeah, and and you know I'll credit I got a, a ton of of a combination of men because uh, there's so much I got to say here. The first thing is 
a mentor and mentee totally made that word up uh, relationship is not as fixed as you might think. It's very dynamic. And I think both learn from each other. And in one case, on one topic, you may be a mentor and in another topic with the same individual, you might, you might be the mentee. Right. And so um, I credit this to Aaron Hughes. He's the CISO over at Albertsons. Um, he's the one that really like emphasized sponsorship. Mentorship is when you have decided that you want to give back and you want to give back through your expertise and advice. And so it's a lot of conversations, a lot of guidance, and that's absolutely pivotal for, for people who haven't um, the experience, right? So you have to guide them through some experiences without fail, by avoiding failure. And it's not that failure is bad, but you shouldn't if you don't have to. Sponsorship takes it a step further. It is where you are spending your political capital. You're, you're, you're taking action in order to move that person along on their journey. So it goes a step beyond advice. It goes a step beyond guidance. And it says, I am, I have a seat at a table, which this individual or these individuals do not have. And I'm going to sponsor them by bringing them to that table and advocating on their behalf. Yeah, and, and it goes from, you have access to a table that th that individual doesn't and you bring them along. It can go all the way up to you are in a position to create positions for high performance that you've observed, that you know would make a phenomenal CISO in the future. And you're taking on that role of being a sponsor and creating a path, helping to create a path for that person. Yeah, super interesting. It's almost like that joke where, you know, the uh, eggs and bacon, right? The chicken is, you know, supportive. But the, you know, the pig is committed. You know? <laughs> so, yes, so that's I, right. Yeah, I, I, I think it's like so it's much. So in my opinion, it's much harder to to get somebody to sponsor you because Correct. it's right. Um, and and because it's not uh, I guess it's almost you. You have to to really vouch for that person. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you get like if you're like uh, maybe just starting out or you're in mid-level um, role like you were at the time? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you get that person to, and again, it's also critical that you pick the right one, right? To, Correct. To, how do you Two do ways. There are two ways, uh, or two, not two ways, but there are two things you need to consider. The first is you have to know your why, your what, and your how. The what is easy. If, if, if your listeners are listening to this, and maybe they're not in, in cybersecurity, but they find this podcast very interesting, um, your what can can change, but it doesn't typically change very often that, you know, so for us, it's cybersecurity. I've been doing it now for over a decade and so on and so forth. For some people, they might pivot from being a lawyer to doing cybersecurity. So that's their what. Your why also evolves. When you're younger, your why is just you're on the hamster wheel, right? Everyone tells you that you should go to school, get an education, finish high school, go to college, graduate. And so you're busy trying to sort of meet those expectations. But as you get older, you get more experiences, your why evolve. For me, it's simple right now. The why is my family, particularly my two little girls. Mm -hmm. um, I always joke with my wife and said she gets to tag along because all this is for the two little girls. <laughs> So your why can change. Before before them, my why was just blind ambition. And there's and that can get you so far, but really when your why becomes something that's transcendent, um, is where it takes you to the next level of wanting to be a sponsor and wanting to be a mentor. Because I want to leave the world a better place for my two little girls. And I also want to be the type of person in this world who can do something like that so that I can pay it forward and hopefully one day some some someone might see my girls, see their their worth it, worth uh, high performers, and also create a path for them. So your why changes, and I would argue might become more uh, heartfelt over time, depending on how your life goes. The how, regardless of what your what and your why is, the how is one of the most critical pieces because two people can get to the point where they're achieving the CISO title and one person has created a utopia on their path and the other one has just, it's a post-apocalyptic crime scene. Um, and 
I would argue the how is truly what you need to focus on in terms of finding mentors and sponsors. Don't be, don't just be blindly um, caught up with someone's title or so on. You need to pay attention to their how. Who are they? What do they value? Are their values similar to yours? And and when you care for that how, you build relationships on trust, and they're no longer transactional. And if you can start to build relationships based on trust from the very beginning, build a strong network, you attend events, you, you ask questions because you're genuinely interested and you want to learn who this, about who this person is and what they bring uh, to the table and what you can offer, what they can offer you. Again, not to be transactional, but for the greater good of the community uh, and mutual beneficial development. Um, uh, and, and perhaps that goes into my second, which I kind of touched on the first, which is networking, networking, networking. I just cannot tell you most of the opportunities that I have gotten up to this point hasn't been because there was this well laid out path, career path for me. It was um, I happened to meet someone. I happened to visit um, a conference, which I could have just said no to, or I happened to run into this person, <clears throat> or there are a couple of people even on LinkedIn that I reached out to and I said, hey, um, your journey has been so fascinating. I would love to spend 15 minutes speaking with you. And when you really network from the perspective of I genuinely care and want to understand and, and build a relationship of trust. Um, that's also very beneficial because people respond to that. We're social creatures. Um, and I would say those are the two. Know your what, why, how, and then also build um, a, a good network based on trust and mutual development. Fantastic, Kurt. And whoever listens to it live, uh, just so you know, it's going to be, you can be able to rewind and we watch, and I highly recommend just rewinding the, the last few minutes is watch this again because there, there's so much packed in those like three minutes. That's amazing. Um, and you know, uh, what you mentioned specifically about being, everything being transactional, I think that a lot of people are focused on that today because I guess it's just a digital era where, mm -hmm. you know, people are reaching out to you and they're like, because they want something and then they, you know, once they get it, they move on. And I think that, you know, there is something to be said, uh, you know, about the power of, of long lasting, uh, you know, symbiotic relationship between people, you know, yeah. something that's not based on, on, you know, a, an end results, immediate end results or some sort of transaction. Um, and, and I also think that you managed to, uh, you know, aside from doing all the right things, as you described, like going to college and doing all of that, I think a lot of people do that, but they're missing that piece you just described. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, because they, it's very easy to get caught up in, in the hamster wheel. And then you're working and you're working on a promotion and so on and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with that. But but you should take into account those things that I mentioned. And, and uh, you know, and again, it's just uh, it's evident that it's working for you because, you you know, you're young and you manage to, to propel yourself to, to a very senior role very quickly. And I'm, I'm assuming that sometimes people look at you and say, oh, well, you know, how come, you know, a young guy like that is mm -hmm. in a, such a big role? And, uh, and you mentioned that typically it takes five years, but somehow they've decided that you don't need to spend the time. And I think, honestly, I think that this is the day, the new day and age. Your age doesn't Agreed. matter. Your density, your background does not matter. It's all based on performance and who you are. And I think the days of spending, you know, 15 years in an organization to, to do what, whatever, so you can get to the next role are irrelevant. I, you know, yes. I've, I've, I've met uh, CEOs who are 25 years old. And some of them have never even went to school, right? And they're doing right. phenomenal. They're they're brilliant, and they're able to to uh, you know move the company forward regardless of of you know their backgrounds. And it's all based on performance and who they are. Uh, so tell me a, a bit about your you manage traveling a lot, and I'm assuming that the it's part of the kind of Simmons uh, grooming uh, to become a senior mm -hmm. role because they wanted to be involved and have a knowledge of every side of the business and business like Siemens, it's like, there's no joke. It's like, you know, we're talking about how many divisions and areas and, you know, consumer versus uh, enterprise and, and so on. Um, from, from these journeys, um, what was the most remarkable of that? Like, you know, anything that came to mind because you were like traveling everywhere. It is, I'm assuming after was. a while it's becoming a blur. You wake up in a hotel, you don't know where you are, right, kind of thing. Anything you know, that came to mind from that? It's so funny. There were a couple of mornings. I, I distinctly remember, particularly in Germany, I woke up in Munich and I got up. It was like six in the morning. I'll tell you another story, too. It was six in the morning. And I remember walking into a wall because in my mind, I was convinced I was back in my apartment in Virginia. 
and I know getting out of the bed in that direction, what was supposed to happen didn't work out. There's another story. I got to Scotland and um, I landed the, the night before around 7 p.m. local time. I got up, the sun was up, and I was supposed to be at one of our manufacturing locations at like 7.30. And I was like, oh my goodness, I am so late. Hopped in the shower, hustled down the stairs, got into the car, I pulled out, I'm driving, and then I looked at the clock and, I, and it said like 3.45 a.m. And I was like, oh man, the clock's wrong. And I looked at my watch and it also said 3.45 a.m. And mind you, the sun is up at like, it, it, it was up the equivalent of like 9 a.m. In, in the U.S. So it was like right up there, you know, in the sky. Um, and I looked at my phone and it really was 3.45 a.m. And so I had to turn around and head back and just kind of like bright, fully awake, just sit there and wait. So that was pretty funny. Um, in terms of just strange events, those come to mind. What what really comes to mind to me, and that's another another thing that I, I, I want to emphasize, you got to have a passion for learning. I have heard so many stories and observed so many things. And it's, it's I guess it's particularly beneficial at Siemens just because of how varied our stuff is, right? So there's trains, we build trains, digital platforms, IO, industrial IoT devices, smart grid, smart energy, building automation, and the list goes on. Um, healthcare at the time. And so um, it was just never a dull intellectual moment. Um, and not only did I spend the time speaking to people who were way smarter than I was, but I also, on the, on the technical side, I spent a lot of time speaking with marketing folks and sales folks and finance folks. Like I asked them questions like, what's your, what's your biggest challenge to go to market? Who are your biggest competitors? What product is next to be launched? And what's your expected ROI on it? What's your growth rate over the next three years? Uh, even though I was in cyber, for me, that was really critical in, in applying what I call cyber with context. And so, um, but the thing I remember the most is the, the way the leadership development program works is I was a global senior manager at the time for cyber projects, but I would turn around. So let's say I wrapped up a cyber project. I would, you know, the next project would be, let's say a finance audit. And I would actually be a staff auditor or a staff, you know, consultant on that engagement. So you're, you're sort of running the project up here on the, on the cyber side, but then you're doing entry level stuff on the finance side or legal review or oper name, 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 which domain you will. As long as it was outside of cyber, I spent a lot of time doing like entry level work. And that was also pivotal for rounding me out and making me a good, um, um, business savvy person and the relationships you build. And it's just, it was a good, a good time. And you, you have to have that. You mentioned cyber recontext. T t talk to me about that. Cause this, again, this is uh, fairly new. I don't think people hear that a lot. They, they mm -hmm. do hear, uh, you know, I've, again, I interviewed CSIS and they, they mentioned that they spend the first 90 to, uh, you know, 120 days just talking to the business units mm -hmm. to understand what it is that they do. But you went through like hands, you were like right there. You, you're not just like having a Zoom call. You were like, well, it's pre-pandemic, but you were traveling everywhere and, and seeing it firsthand. Yeah. Talk to me about what does that mean and, and how do you apply that today in your particular role? Yeah, so so that really meant so the way our uh, the audits or it was a lot of audits. So the way those were structured because that's how Siemens does their leadership development program. It doubles as their audit department. Um, the way it's structured, you go in there with your program and you hit steps A, B, C, D, and you get it done. But but you know I'm at the time I was responsible for for planning the projects, and so I would actually it's it wasn't in the program, it wasn't the required work. But I would actually go to our org chart and look at who, uh, for this project that we're working on, who's head of finance, who's head of business development, who's the CEO, and so on and so forth. And I would carve out meetings with them and the team with, that was with me as well, mandatory to, to, to attend, to really understand um, what it is that they're, they're that keeps them up at night, what are their objectives, what it is that they're trying to achieve. Because not only does it make better connections and have people appreciate what your role as a cyber professional more, but it really actually puts into context a lot of the work 
that we do on the cyber side. A lot of the pushback you get to understand is not because they hate cyber or they're malicious. It's because they have cost pressures that are ABC. They're late to market and a competitor is outrunning them, you know, by four or five, you know, percentage points and so on. You get, you get all this context around what it is that you're doing on the cyber side, and then it all starts to fall into place. And then finally, you could make more meaningful uh, recommendations, right? So it's not just plug the hole on servers, you know, one, two, three. It's, hey, looking at this, looking at what your business objective is for that 2% annual growth rate over the next three years, looking at the data set that's going to help you achieve that, and looking at your, your margins and how slim they are, we think you should use the very limited funds that you have, not to plug servers one, two, three, but actually plug servers three and four. And you can, you can stave off one and two until uh, the next four quarters. So Something to that degree. And all of a sudden, there's a much better appreciation for the value that you bring. And you do bring more value. So how does that translate to what I do today? More of the same. Um, I spend a lot of time having non-cyber related conversations with my counterparts, whether it's the CIO, um, the head of supply chain and so on, but also with the businesses as well uh, and understanding what are some of their core, the challenges this quarter? What were the numbers? Did you miss it? Why was that? And so on. And that gives insight from the type of pressures the product folks are under, which which may be why they might not be able to deploy all of the cybersecurity secure coding that you would like them to. And then you can agree, right, prioritize and, and based on risk and, and so on. But it also would explain why they might pick a supplier who is horrible at cyber. Why? Is it because they just don't like cyber? No. It's because when they look at the four suppliers that are that the four potential suppliers, supply, the supplier that they picked decreased their time to market by three months. So they make it to market in three months versus the six months of the other suppliers. That's just an example. Yeah. So, and that can so be be detrimental to the to the outcome, right? I mean, a three yeah. months sounds like. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but in manufacturing, that's you know that's that could that's, be a lot. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally uh, right. And uh, it's really amazing you're making these like non you know non cyber conversation uh, to understand the business. How does the organization, without disclosing too much information, how do you um, how do you incorporate security and kind of cyber into into everything you do, and and Simmons is kind of unique, and you don't have to disclose too much, but you because mm-hmm. you do both the kind of consumer side of the house and as well as the kind of enterprise, and then you're also responsible for the internals. How do you kind of wove in that in that mindset into the organization? You kind of touched upon that, but it's it's not it takes a village. It's not just you, kind of the yep. head of you know. It has everybody has to have that mindset when they're releasing products, even if you're not in cyber and you're head mm-hmm. of product and some. So how does an organization like that, as, as sizable as, as Simmons, um, have that kind of the mindset to provide kind of security controls around everything they do? That's a really, really good question. Um, and I will say this. Um, if, you're, if you're a professional, whether you're in a leadership position or not, as you grow through your career, you should not be beholden to any, to, well, two things. Three things actually it just keeps popping in my head. The first is that you should not be beholden to any one organizational uh, structure, and I'm speaking for cyber. So it might be um, based on the journey and where the business is that you need to take a um, you know thirty percent of your cyber folks and embed them in the business. Why? Because we're not doing too well. The businesses are very different. They need to be self-contained so they can move quickly, and the cyber folks need to be as close as possible to the to the product managers that are trying to deploy these products. And so that's that might be something you do for 18 months to help get through this tough time. Then at month, num- you know, once that's passed, month number 19, maybe you go back to a centralized model. So the first is don't do not be married to any one structure and you need to be because businesses are living organisms. And so you really need to ebb and flow and be very flexible with how you approach your organization. Um, the second thing is that uh, from my perspective, we try to articulate what the value of cyber is. It's not to el- it's not to eliminate threats. The value of cyber is to help you make calculated and informed um, take calculated and informed risks. Right. Because you can't plug everything. So have we taken care of our golden nuggets? And here's why we should. And here's some of the, 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 the scenarios that might happen if we don't. Um, 
um, what's your, what, which, and this is a really good one, the Pareto principle, typically, you know, the 80, 20 rule, right? So for example, and it, you see it everywhere, 80% everywhere. of the mass, uh, in, in the, in the solar system comes from 20% of the celestial bodies. So that 80, 20 rule exists practically everywhere. So it's the same with it, typically the same with business, right? 80% of your revenue likely comes from 20% of your products. Um, and so, you know, applying that as well and saying, okay, which one of your products are, are or which number of your products are providing you the most revenue? Um, and then there's also, of course, targets that are very strategically important. So they might not be part of that, you know, 80% of revenue or the 20% of products that drive that 80% of revenue, but they might be very strategically important to you in the next, you know, let's say three to five years. Um, and so it's a lot of a lot of conversation, a lot of alignment, a lot of just communication and making sure everyone's on the same page. And then deploying now, the, the limited resources in a way that, that that's most effective. And it, it is fascinating, again, because, um, you know, th this particular organization, you know, it's been around for a long time. And, you know, you, 200 you sound years. amazing. And you sound, yeah. you, you know, and, and again, if you look at it from the uh, just from the outside in, you know, it looks like, a, you know, like an older established organization that moves slowly, but. I'm listening to you and I hear innovation. That's what I mm -hmm. hear. I hear yeah. like somebody who is like, is not necessarily following all the, the rules of, of engagement like they're supposed to, but just kind of move stuff around it, it you know, in a very flexible manner. Mm -hmm. So tell me, did you ever have to, um, to have difficult conversations where, you know, because you seem like, you know, you're very articulate, like you're very, you're laid back, but I'm, I'm assuming it's not always the case. I'm assuming that yeah. sometimes you have to push back or you yeah. have to stand your ground for certain things. Do you ever have to do that? You, you do. You know, I, 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 and this is part of like just a journey I took very, you know, affable, friendly, laid back guy. What you see is what you get. Um, and, and very rarely do I like to stretch my elbows, but then you need to keep your elbows sharp is how one of my, um, <laughs> my, my previous bosses said in case that you need to use them. Um, luckily at Siemens, um, we don't have that problem. Uh, there's always pockets of that at every organization, but by and large at Siemens, we're really solid because what's happening right now at Siemens, that 200 year old company is actually in a, in a transitioning to a focused tech company. A couple of things that people don't know, Siemens is the largest industrial software company in the world. And in wow. terms of software in general, it's number uh, eight. Right. So it's right up there with your Googles and your Amazons and your Microsoft and so on and so forth. So massive amount of um, digital stuff. And we spend about three billion dollars a year now uh, on R&D. So a lot of innovation, a lot of um, cutting edge tech. So so the organization is in the midst of this transformation, um, which is moving into a focused tech company. So um, uh, I, I see leaders who are plugged in, engaged. Um, you know, the organization has gotten a lot flatter, which means that there are brilliant people who were buried under structures before. They're now emerging and taking on more of a de facto leadership role and getting opportunities to, 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 to shine and to contribute. So it's a, it's a beautiful time um, at Siemens right now, I must say. Yeah, amazing. And you, uh, you took on the ownership of such a big role when, you know, it was difficult times. The pandemic hit, all of a sudden everybody had to work remote. There were a lot of challenges associated with that, providing access, for example, to, you know, um, internal application to the outside. What was it like? Did you like at one point in time said like, holy shit, what did I sign up for? Because like, you, it's like it was like maybe like a year, uh, because a year later after you, you kind of took on the role. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. It is. It was a year later. Uh, I think I got this role at either 33 or 34. One or two. Didn't you get like panic so, yeah. calls? Oh, from... time has flown, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you didn't you know, get a panic roles from executives, you know, you know asking you what to do? <sighs> Well, yes and no. I think it goes back to very quickly and very clearly communicating what our risk profile looks like. And so at that time, we had already been prioritizing our endpoint devices um, because remember with Siemens, we have a lot of people that are field techs in the field at customer locations. And so we already had very strong device like extra strong device management with the field techs. And we'd already started to, to roll that out to a lot of different people. Um, 
But where we had to focus, we had to modify some processes. So typically in the past, when someone needed to get onboarded, they had to go, in, go into a Siemens uh, office to get that done. That's where the process was built. So very quickly, we had to work with IT to set up a new process that would allow us to ship computers directly to and onboard them without being on a Siemens network. Um, or um, it was how do research teams collaborate when typically they're used to being in office together, um, but we still need to keep the work going. How do they um, collaborate virtually? How do we do that in a way that keeps the data protected? So what, what I spent a lot of time doing, um, it wasn't a scramble. The only thing I needed to do was what is it that we want to keep going? How do we do it more efficiently without losing the, the value that security brings to it? And so prioritizing those objectives, those business objectives that, that got shot to the top when the pandemic happened, uh, and then making sure that I kept clear communication with my CEO, you know, my peer, my CIO, and all the business leaders. It's super interesting. You also touched upon the fact that you have to quantify that risk since the you know, there's no uh, ability to completely yeah. limit, you know. Um, so how do you keep abreast of like what the current trends are uh, in in, uh, in uh, your mind? What's what's the kind of the the really hot buttons right now? Because it's it's a moving target. Like what you thought was was critical, like six months ago may not completely be different today. This is true. Um Keeping abreast is a combination of three things. There are a few publications I subscribe to, Political Pro, to keep track of what's happening on the Hill when it comes to cyber regulation, <laughs> um, and just a few other bits and pieces, the Wall Street Journal and so on. But a lot of it comes from, and this is why networking is so important, having conversations. You know, having conversations is not just you getting your point across and the person getting their point across. It's through conversations that you actually jointly think about something. You articulate something, you articulate a point of view, and you either change your mind or you don't, and you adjust. And it's very, I value them very much because it's this very dynamic learning experience. So a lot of panels and so on. So for example, I joined the Atlantic Council as a non-resident senior fellow, right? Where we, we think through international policy, what's at the in intersection of international policy, um, uh, technology, business strategy, and think through what are some of the challenges that the United States and its allies might be facing in the future and what are some policy recommendations that members of Congress and other decision makers um, within the government and the private sector should be thinking about. So those types of forward-leaning discussions are absolutely critical. The other part of it just has to do with my domain in general. Um, so spending $3 billion a year um, on research, we do things such as homomorphic encryption, post-quantum cryptography, um, and, and, and the list of self-healing cyber systems, um, the list goes on. And so having insight on being part of those types of forward-leaning things as well and marrying that with these conversations and the things that I'm reading and then seeing what we're doing right now. So the things that are happening here and now, such as the 5G, wireless router that we're rolling out, um, the, the factory automation and building automation that we're rolling out, the digital platforms that we're rolling out. So it's a very, um, it's like a melting pot. You kind of, you throw everything in there and then you sort of, you see where things emerge. And then the final thing I'll say is that there are just some things that clearly the adversaries are focused on. Um, mergers and acquisitions, um, supply chain, um, um, artificial intelligence, in terms of the, 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 if you can crack artificial intelligence, the amount of authority that it has right now running multiple processes across both the IT and OT space. Um, and, and, and the list goes on. Cloud, um, is another, another topic as well, because there's so much concentrated in, and I use the term cloud broadly in which as a multi-cloud you know, um, term. Um, there's so much concentrated in cloud right now, and cloud is so pivotal to um, many, many businesses and their digitalization journey. Um, so you throw all that in the mix, and and then you just have some fun conversations. And Kurt, you challenge me as well. I, I, you know, I'm trying to you know keep my my questions straight because you 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 pack so much in in, in these answers, and I'm trying to figure out what the <laughs> next question would be. So one thing I meant, I'll, I'll have to ask you. You mentioned something very um, uh, particular is having type of conversation that you learn from and 
and almost like, you know, uh, collectively think about. And, and I think most of the people, when they're having conversation, they're only, they're only thinking, you know, they're only like listening enough so they can ask the next question. You know what I mean? Like they're not like mm-hmm. active listening. How do yeah. you, how do you practice that? Especially when we were talking about a, the, the cyber domain and your expertise, how do you practice that kind of collective, um, you know, uh, almost like collective thinking or having that conversation that he, you know, both, both individuals or multiple individuals can learn from? Because this is, this is an art. I think a lot of people are not, you know, when they're having conversation yeah. with somebody, they're not, they're not doing this today. Yeah, it's e- it's going to be easier for some people than others. Some people are just naturally curious and they really genuinely want to try to figure something out. Um, if you're not that person, those are the people who are going to find that definitely the easiest. If you're not that person, my advice would be to seek out people with whom you know you disagree and have a conversation. I would encourage everyone to do that. It's almost like there's one of, one of no Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does, but one or two things are going to happen. Either you are going to reinforce your position and feel more strongly and have some and should have some fairly um, better arguments as to why you hold your position or you change your mind. And both of those are perfectly fine. Yeah, um, I, I think having difficult conversations with people you disagree with helps to strengthen the the muscle where you're not just because after a while you get tired of just okay 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 but this without even listening to what the person is saying Case and so point. active exactly. listening from my perspective is is having tough conversations genuinely being interested in what the person has to say, even if you don't think you'll change your mind, um, having a genuine curiosity. And I'll tell you what, man, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I have had where I wasn't even clear on what my position is um, until I had that conversation or conversations where I felt really strongly about something. And then the person either had some facts that I didn't have or presented an argument that I just couldn't refute where I said, huh, um, you are correct, and I changed my mind. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it makes you a stronger person. And and it's a it's a, it sounds like almost like a much more effective um, learning process than just reading, you know, like a two dimensional article and trying to gather the information. I'm, I'm I'm assuming after a lively discussion with someone, you can really come out with some knowledge you didn't have before. And then I have to ask you. You mentioned some. So many cool like technologies like you know quantum computing encryption uh, AI you know any any um, you know so everybody knows about Skynet and so on right so we we're you know yeah any yeah. any any exciting uh, development in in cybersecurity that uh, if you have because you have more preview to some of those than anybody else that I know personally. So maybe anything exciting that you, uh, again, without divulging any, any details that you can, uh, you can talk to us about. You know, so let's talk AI. There's two types of AI. There's special purpose, artificial intelligence, and there's general purpose. The, the singularity, right? Skynet that we're talking about is, um, general purpose AI. It's basically duplicating, mimicking, whichever word you want to use, human intelligence in the broadest possible way. Um, that's very applicable to general purpose situations. Right. We it are heard, it has far, to be- we're still working on it, but we're, we're, we have to be self-aware, right? It has to be one of the definition of that, and it has to be self-aware. Correct. And we're not there. We're not even close, right? Correct. Okay. Good. <laughs> Correct. But then, special purpose, special purpose AI um, is is coming along nicely. Um, that's the reason why you have robotic arms at factories that can lift this and view that using a camera and so on. That's what happens when you take all the trillions upon trillions of quadrillions of of variables that we process probably every day, but tend to ignore from the way the table feels to the light that's coming off the right side. All that stuff we ignore and, and our brain has learned how to focus on what matters most, such as for the for the for the next, you know, 45 minutes, this conversation, 
Um, and, 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 and so special purpose takes all those variables and basically eliminates them and brings the data set down to a very specific number of situations. Lift the arm up this way, turn it that way, put the widget down this way. Um, I would say we're making good progress on special purpose artificial intelligence, which by the way, I think will serve a really good purpose when it comes to cybersecurity. Given the shortage that we have in, um, uh, talent for cyber. I think artificial intelligence is a fantastic way to fill, to do more at the base, the, the bottom and middle layers of cybersecurity so that the people that we do have can focus on more interesting and complex problems um, and come up with really creative solutions and leave the more mundane ticket opening and closing and all this stuff to artificial intelligence. So that's where I see it going again, a far ways off from general purpose, but making good progress in, in, in special purpose. And that's evident for two reasons. <laughs> well, three, the research itself, the second is the number of cybersecurity startups. And the third is the absurd amount of capital that's just floating through the cybersecurity startup uh, community right now from, from ventures, private equity, and so on and so forth. What are your thoughts about using the usage of uh, potential AI for, um, you know, for bad? Right. So we're talking about AI for, you know, augmenting the security uh, controls. But I, I'm assuming that the adversaries yeah. are also working on their side of the house. Oh, of course. Of course. Take whatever we do and invert it. And that's what the adversaries are doing. And by the way, they probably um, from it ebbs and it flows. Sometimes the defense, which is us, has the advantage. Sometimes the attack, which is the adversary, has the advantage. So and, and I mean, it ebbs and flows down to minutes and, and hours. So this morning we might have had the advantage and then a zero day comes out this afternoon and we're back on our heels. So that's going to continue to be a thing. But the the adversaries, man, it's it's been fascinating to observe. They went from an individual or individuals who are really, really good and accomplishing some really bad things to um, scaling. So now I wouldn't be surprised if a hacktivist group who feel who feel very insulted, let's say, by um, an oil pipeline, for example, um, who actually don't need any cyber expertise. Why? Because there's a group that has a, a scalable infrastructure that offers hacking as a service, and then you just go pay some money, and then you say, here's my target, and then that command and control infrastructure, again, very scalable, can go execute. So it's been fascinating to see the attackers and the, their business model, everything that we do, from HR, talent development, um, uh, investments, you name it. It's just flip everything upside down and they have it as well. Um, to go from just crawling and walking to now running with these massive infrastructures that could really do a lot of damage. Add to that, they're, they're not being beholden to any type of um, um, nation or regulations or anything like that. And in some cases, um, they're, they can outstrip us from time to time. So it's a very dynamic um, relationship between the attackers and the defenders. Yeah. And speaking of dynamic, this whole environment is just moving so rapidly, right? So if you look at uh, even, again, in your tenure, we had a pandemic, we have a geopolitical situation all in a period of, you know, two, three years. And then, as you mentioned, uh, oh, you know, uh, hacking as a service wasn't even a thing before you joined, I don't think. I think was, this has all happened in the past, you know, <laughs> yeah. several years. Um, so things are really mm -hmm. accelerating. And listen, Kurt, I, I would love to, to maybe we should do this again because I, I think we haven't even peeled the onions on some, yeah. some topics. And I, 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 I definitely <laughs> want to have you on the show again. But maybe as a wrap up, you know, you all mm -hmm. you have to do is like go on a ride in your car and see how you know everybody's so stressed out people are like just driving like crazy they're yeah. like i think it's from the, the prices going up and of, of whatever you know in in geopolitical situation uh you know you turn on the, the news and you know really bad stuff happening but maybe in a positive note you know what do you think you see yeah. in the industry specifically for cybersecurity? that are positive, that we can, you know, makes us feel better after, you know, watching this interview. Oh, and there's not, if there's not, then say, that's okay, we'll wrap up here. No, there, there, there is some, uh, and I will say one thing and then I'll add something on onto that. The thing, the, 
and don't get me wrong, some people might be just be doing it for money, but I'm still very much impressed with people who get passionate about a particular topic um, or a particular niche in cyber, very specific. Then they go swipe a credit card, they get some folks together, they get a minimal viable product within six months, and then all of a sudden they're on the market solving this um, never before thought of, but very critical need. Um, for example, one of the companies, um, I just joined the board of a company, which I just fell in love with because when I, when I heard their pitch, I was at a conference, um, the CEO said, it's like homomorphic encryption without the homomorphic encryption. For your listeners that might not know, that would be like the holy grail because anytime you need to, when you have data at rest, it's encrypted. Whenever you need to process that data, it's decrypted and that's where it's exposed. So what Titanium does is they call it encryption in use. You're able to actually, pro it's not homomorphic encryption, but they found a very interesting and creative way to um, to do uh, keep the data encrypted while it's being processed. So that was cool. So that really encourages me because it's this free open market where people with absolutely brilliant ideas can come along and just solve this phenomenal problem that helps the defenders, us, to keep leaning forward. Whereas before, in the past, it was just a very limited group of these hyper successful companies that if they thought of it, maybe they might come up with something. So now I just, I'm very much encouraged by that. The other thing I would say, the encouragement I would have is we're talking about things on the macro scale, but all of this come down to like people and humans and one person, both bad and good, can, can, can have rippling effects throughout this entire world. So I would encourage people going back to sponsorship and mentorship. Um, to be to, to be active locally, um, whether it's just mentoring, sponsorship, part of a local um, community organization, um, because it just takes one person with one opportunity to completely change their life. I was born in the Caribbean. At the time, I didn't think I was going to be um, coming to the U.S. And if I did come to the U.S., I didn't think I was going to be an executive at, a, at an $80 billion business. You know, this is, but just the tiniest thing can change the life course of any individual. And that in turn could just have this massive rippling effect. So um, be active locally, care and do something um, that you, you're, you're passionate about. Kurt, thank you very much. That was, uh, you know, a very uplifting, actually. Uh, you know, I, I have to say that. Um, really amazing conversation. I, I appreciate you taking the time. And for people that are looking to get in touch, what's the easiest way to, uh, for people to do it? Twitter at the real Kurt John or LinkedIn, um, the LinkedIn uh, um, address uh, slash Kurt M. John. Fantastic. Kurt, thank you very much again. Much, much appreciated. And I, you know, I can't wait to see where you go next, you know, to be honest. Um, and uh, looking forward to, to follow your career. And we should definitely <laughs> do this again sometime soon. And uh, until then, Agreed. thank you very much this for joining. Uh, we'll see you thank all you, uh, next next episode. And uh, be well online and offline. Be safe.